Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Today, I'm joined by Sharon. Uh, Sharon, welcome, and th- thanks for sparing us a little bit of time. Thanks, Martin. Nice to be on. Cheers. Thanks for asking. No pleasure. So perhaps provide our listeners a little bit of background where you grew up, your early years. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm Manx, so I was born in, uh, born in the Isle of Man and grew up in Ramsey and uh, you know, went to Albert Road School, which is now um, a car park. It's demolished. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when I was nine, um, I suppose, for me growing up, uh, I'd always been, I'd really enjoyed art. I loved drawing. And, and I thought that my uncle was an architect. I thought, well, I'm going to be an architect. So from a very young age, I sort of had a career mapped out. I was going to be an architect. So um, so when I, was, when I was nine, my parents divorced. And that was pretty um, sort of catastrophic um from you know family family point of view it was um so we ended up um you know living um separate to my dad and uh you know it meant that going through school um i still had this idea i was going to be an architect and i took all my a-level options around doing um you know physics maths but art um which was quite an unusual subject choice and you know the school was very kind to facilitate it even back then um, but on my 18th birthday, my dad stopped. Um, my that's my 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 um, what is my birthday? So it's in it's in April, and that's in the middle of the academic year, and you take your exams later. And that's when the court order ran out, and I think you know maybe money was tough or whatever. So that meant I couldn't go to university. So uh, you know, I was always quite sort um, I think resilient from being brought up single uh, by a single parent, and uh, so I I was head girl, and you know. Yeah. So I, I left school as, um, with really, uh, can I say crap, A-level results because I just I just gave up basically. Um, so I left school um, 18 as head girl and went to Barclays Bank and started as a junior. And, uh, you know, what the hell, exams aren't going to make any difference to me, so I'm going to go. And I realised pretty quickly that um, starting as the office junior, going out and doing the girls shopping and um, cleaning the safe and... Uh, you know, doing all those sorts of chores, the only way to kind of get up any career from that, because it gets old pretty fast, you know, you sort of decide after about a week, well, I'm not going to spend my life doing this. Yeah. So uh, I, uh, they, they were great. Barclays were fantastic. Any opportunity that came along, if you wanted to say, yeah, I'll do it, you know, even even going away on athletic strips for the the bank team. Right. Uh you know, Jackie Fletcher, Jackie Fletcher, she is now Jackie Hurst back then. She and I used to go away and run for Barclays Bank in the UK and their cross country teams and stuff like that. But but academically as well, they they um, they were really good. They they let me have um, go on day release up to Isle of Man College to start my banking exams, which I didn't really enjoy. Um, but, you know, fast forward that a few years, I think I used uh, 16 years and all I worked for Barclays Bank, um, including latterly as, a, as an investment advisor. Um, an IFA and um, yeah I took every opportunity that they had that they threw you know yeah you I'll do that I'll you know let's I'll do those exams um, found what I loved really early on which was an ability to to explain complexity to people 
uh, and helping them you know so so that that finding that i really enjoyed helping others was key pivotal for me um sort of my, like my light bulb moment if you like that just that made me go down this path of being a financial planner right and that those those early days then it, yeah kind of mentioned about within a week or two I, I won't be doing this for a long period of period of time was that something you realized like quickly because again as a 18 19 year old it's quite self-aware to be most people aren't that you know maybe that focused on their career or, or their pro- even their progression then yeah i think um i think you can get this sort of self-image if you think that you've 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 made it you're really you're really important in your own mind uh and so to be to have you know you've been the top of the school basically and um, looked up to and then you, you realize pretty quickly you know big fish small pond uh, so, and that's happened a few times um in, in in my life really you know whether it be cycling or uh, career wise and it, you know it's kind of realizing that the more you know actually the the less you do actually know so having that um I suppose humility to to take you down a peg or two, peg or two and realize that you can really learn from others and um, you've got one mouth and two ears and you need to l- use them in the correct proportion. I think I learned that lesson pretty fast. And, and during those years at Barclays, did you have people that help you understand that or, and point you in those right directions? Mentors, oh, yeah, totally. I, I think you do your growing up when you start in a, in a work environment with other adults, to be honest. You're, you're now a young adult and you, you know, you, you get the opportunity to go and work with other adults who expect you to behave in a certain way. Um, yes, I, I've learned loads from, uh, yeah, I've been really lucky that um, I've had some great mentors over the years, um, right the way through from, a, you know, Barclays, um, right the way up to um, even, even through, uh, you know, my professional body, um, sort of time, personal finance society, you, you know, just been so so fortunate really in, in in having people help me all the way so bob barclays what how i mean how did that end in regard to the next progression was the choice there i need a, a new challenge <laughs> oh sure well that was in um 1999 and barclays at that point i was their international um advisor for uh, life and pensions which meant i didn't have any isle of man clients i just dealt with international clients of barclays and they had um decided to outsource their business in two steps to Marsh, um, uh, which was Marsh McLennan, a big global insurance broker at that point. And they'd gone into financial services uh, locally. So the outsource happened there. Um, so I went with continuous service to Barclays, from Barclays to Marsh. It didn't work out. Uh, and um, after just over a year, I'd, um, I'd left there and 20 years ago this month. In fact, I set up Thornton. So that's a big step uh, to set, for anyone, I think, setting up their own business. Uh, scary. Very yeah. scary. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what, what was the, well, talk us a little bit through that thought sort of process of that decision to go, I'm, I'm going to try this on my own. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the scary element of it and how you dealt with that. Sure. I mean, I think financial services is something, I mean, I, and I, I'm, I'm included in this, but many people didn't set out to do this career. They sort of found themselves in it. And my pathway, I suppose, to, to to that was, you know, just um, by the way that this 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 set of um, skills are transferable, and this is where it t- sets you up into a pathway and helping others through financial planning. I think I realised um, 
from what I'd learned at Barclays, helpful and useful though it was, that that wasn't how I would run my own business. And um, you really needed to look after your clients. You know, if you, you leave a big bank with a massive client base, you go on your own, then from day one, your, your, your client base starts with the telephone directory then that's that's your um that's your pool of uh of, of people and of course i'd only dealt with international clients so i had nothing um so i started um having no local clients basically um and 95 offshore and over the years that's completely changed and now i would say 99.9 percent .9 of our clients are uh our isle of man based and uh, no none offshore as uh, uh things have changed that's obviously very to go back to the, that switch into go, going alone. That, that's very daunting to to, go, to give up the got, monthly paycheck. I've got totally. No, yeah, to I've got no clients. My, my, even the contacts I have has historically been off island to to to, to brave. Uh, did you think that at the time it was a brave thing to do, or is it this is this is the path I feel I need to go down and just see how it plays out? Yeah, I, th I think I'd, I'd realised um, that f for a while that it it wasn't. It wasn't going to work out where I stayed, so I, you know, I, I decided that. Well, let's have a look at how much laptops are. <laughs> you know, back in two thousand, that was kind of oh my goodness, a PC cost how much? <laughs> oh dear, I remember my first Sony laptop. It cost me two thousand pounds, and it did um, oh probably oh, nothing what today's laptop would do. It might have had it had, had, had email on it, yeah. <laughs> you know, Word. That was about it. Uh, very small memory. It was, yeah, that was quite challenging. And learning how to use it as well, because when I when I started school, computers weren't invented. And uh, at Ramsey Grammar School, they just started to get a very rudimentary computer room. And I didn't do computer studies. So I didn't send an email, I didn't think, until, oh gosh, it must have been early, yeah, early 90s before I sent an email <laughs> because Barclays didn't have those personal computers until then. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a, from a technology journey alone, it's been quite a challenge and uh, yeah. yeah but well, you you're learning everything, aren't you? Yeah. Well, that's it, you see. And, and I think, um, I mean, a lot of my clients today are small business owners. And I think that's because we understand, we all came from the same point of view that you start a business because you've got this fire in the belly that you want to do this better than you've been doing it. You know, you know how to do your role. So you're going to do that. The thing is, what you don't sign up for is all the other um, stuff that comes with it, all the HR, the, um, you know, the the um, the operations, the, the, the general running of a business that... Um, it, that that's not your bag. You know, why would it be? And when you employ staff, that's... Um, you know, that's that's the that's where for me you need help. You know, that's unless you are an HR person who who set up an HR company, the chances are you're going to need to to get in some expertise. Um, it's and, and not to scare sort of budding entrepreneurs off. Yeah, uh, I assume. Uh, I mean, if you had advice for them, somebody who's going into setting up a business, whether it's a small, you know, distillery business or whatever, you know, whatever that might be, what would what would advice be? Just kind of yeah, generally. Well, first of all, first of all, cash flow. Um, make sure you control your costs because it's really easy to spend money, but it's not so easy to keep it. So, um, and it's not so easy to earn money. So, yeah, control your costs. Focus on the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you um, if you employ others, um, treat them well. You know, you got to treat your staff really, really well, and um, and and get help. Just in source as much um, expertise as, 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 as makes sense. But there's, you know, there's, um, 
there's, there's quite a lot of support you can get. Um, and I know I'm, I'm uh, listed as a mentor on the, the Chamber of Commerce's uh, mentor program. So there's, there's, um, there's, there's quite, quite a few of us who are in this role, have done this role, uh, and can talk to quite a few um, entrepreneurs if, if required to give them, just point them in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So, so moving on to the uh, Personal Finance Society and your involvement with that, how did that come about? And what... oh, <laughs> it's that it's that big fish, um, small pond again syndrome. So, uh, let's see, I I, um, I met Jules pretty late on. Um, I was thirty eight when I met Jules, and uh, he and I had Luke um, just before I was forty one. Our son. Uh, so he was born in two thousand and seven, and and. If you've got small children, you will know ever that there's only so much TV you can watch. <laughs> if you have a good baby, what are you going to do? So Luke was a brilliant baby. Um, he's still a good boy, actually. So um, yeah. So whilst he was, you know, went to bed, I, I would um, study. So I did all my chartered exams. And so I, by the time 2009 came around, I was chartered, and I thought, oh, I know, I'll go to the the annual Personal Finance Society conference because there was no local CPD here, um, continuing professional development. Um, it was, we were members, because we're part of the same professional chartered insurance institute body. They didn't provide enough relevant learning, I thought, for for my field, which was financial planning. So I went across to, um, I went across to, um, to London with Jules and um, at the AGM, because it was held at the same time in it, it, as part of the conference, I stuck my hand up and said, excuse me, <laughs> is there anything you can do about getting um, some, because they had lots of regions uh, and the Isle of Man wasn't one. If I wanted to go to the, to the PFS events, I had to go to Haydock Park, which means getting on an aeroplane back in those days. So the CEO, who was a woman, uh, Faye Gardard back then, she said, oh, well, do you know, how many members have you got there? I said, oh, I don't know, 100 and... 130 something like that she said oh i think we could probably start an isle of man region would you run it oh okay so that was how it started so 2009 we set up the isle of man region of the personal finance society um i ran that for three years kindly john hockney um took over the reins for for me here um and did a much better job actually and so i got um recruited on to the the national board uh, in 2012 and i've spent uh, a marvelous and fantastic opportunity time you know to, to be on that board um i was president in 1718 which was a huge honor you know to sort of you look you know you say that what's what's that behind you oh that's my career <laughs> to, have been, to have been at the top of that um profession was just such an honor it really was i get to speak at the national conference which was at the nec in front of you know a couple of thousand people that was uh that was the probably the most nervous thing I've ever done in my life um, I even managed to get in my presentation a shot of the TT so that was because uh, yeah. <laughs> you can <laughs> if you're yeah. from the Isle of Man um, but no to um, to realize that uh, actually the you know you, you ask about financial advisors anybody and you'll you'll know that there's a public trust issue and so the whole uh, the whole purpose of a professional body um, as as a distinct difference to what a trade body does is that the professional body is there to represent the consumer's interests. So if they find that their members are um, acting against um, what they should be doing, you know, the strap line is standards, professionalism, trust, 
And if you don't adhere to those and you have, you've signed up to the Code of Ethics and you're not adhering to those, a professional body will have an issue with it and they, they would be very unlikely to want to reissue your, stand, your statement of professional standing, which is your annual practice certificate. So, um, you know, that's um, for us, that's been um, a great goal has been to drive public trust and confidence in the profession. And, and that means calling out bad behavior when it happens. That doesn't mean it's a secondary regulator. Yeah. But it, it does have a distinct difference to a trade body, which is there to represent its members. Where, where do you think you mentioned the distrust there or, or this element? Or where do you think that emanates from just the, the, the naughty ones, if that's the right term? Well, well as, as, as everything, um, it's always a small minority, uh, you know, one rotten apple yeah. um, that, that, that spoils it for a lot of um, incredibly great um, professionals that there are. But, um, oh dear, IFAs do, do like to shoot themselves in the foot, especially in the UK, by going onto Twitter and shouting out bad behaviour. It's like, oh, that's, that's really good. That's, uh, yeah. that's the last thing you would do. You know, um, there, are, there are pathways to report, yeah. to report bad behaviours. And, you know, we've, we've been involved, my, my company, quite a lot in, um, in, in, in helping consumers find the right pathway for assistance. Um, but the, the pathway is, you know, it's the... It's the ombudsman, the Office of Fair Trading, it's the regulator. But I mean, quite often it's it's just pointing people in the right direction. Um, yeah, yeah, being that signpost. Yeah, or or you know, or the not whistleblowing exactly, but you know, being um, th seeing things like scams. I mean, to be honest with you, our regulator here, you, you'll have seen the headline um, a couple of weeks ago for a financial advice firm getting fined for um, inappropriate behaviour and misbehaving misbehaving well that the regulator has caught them and has dealt with it and that they have you know um admitted that they've done wrong i mean that's that's the whole point of being regulated at least there is consumer protection whereas for people who go online um or even who don't who get cold called i mean my mum was asking me um just yesterday i keep getting cold called for these people do i want to buy this and that and the other said, mum Put the phone down. Your daughter's a financial advisor, for goodness sakes. <laughs> Why are you asking me this? I would tell you if you needed something, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, vulnerable people, they they will answer a telephone call. They'd be really worried because so many people have hang-ups about, about money. And older people, um, are, you know, particularly have grown up in much less times of opportunity than than today's generations and so you know we, we all have this um acceptance and almost fear of authority and if somebody um you know a lot of boiler room scam scams on 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 telephones are they're all playing on people's fear but also pride pay, preying on pride um yeah. I, I've, I've come across all sorts of scams from non-regulated advice firms and that's very diff that's very important to stress the importance of being regulated um you know, that's where you, if you're dealing with a con an actual regulated firm, you have full consumer protection. And that's massively important. If you don't, you're on your own, you know, you, you're just going to lose your money. And that's, um, that's, I, I, you know, I, I can't speak any higher of and praise of our local regulator because I, they have a really tough job because it's such a small community and everybody knows each other. But at the same time, they've, they're doing a really good job, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd, li I'd like to see them do more um, to um, 
you know, I think there's opportunities there for a, almost a regulatory sandbox because we, we do have this fantastic reputation um, internationally of having strong regulation. Why wouldn't we, you know, use that to promote economic opportunity by working hand in hand with the profession? So, um, you know, there's plenty of places. It's such a confined population and confined border. It must be fairly um, straightforward, I'd have thought, to, to develop something on the long those, those lines that could then be rolled out more globally. I, I don't know. Yeah, no, no, I agree. You mentioned there just when you talk about sitting exams and it kind of reminded me back in sort of 09 in, and being in the financial planning arena, looking at today and, the, the, you know, the situation with the world today and the, the financial issues that are going on today. But first of all, perhaps map back to 2008 and the financial crisis there. How was, how was that experience? Um, it, it's, uh, well, I, <laughs> it wasn't great, obviously, and you have a lot of worried people. But I, I think I realized back then that, you know, that was my second uh, crash because I'd started the firm in 2000. So we'd already had the tech bubble. You're too young to remember that, aren't you, Martin? No, I remember. So, <laughs> so we'd had that. And uh, and, and this uh, then we had the financial crisis. And, and now we've got the, you know, the COVID crisis. And I think the important thing very early on is to realize that um, no one can predict the future. And uh, especially now, markets can remain volatile much longer than you can remain solvent. And I think, um, you know, that, that the stressing of of that important information to to investors who are panicking because they see the value of their their, their money having fallen is uh, it, it can't be it can't be understated. It really can't. It's so it's overstated. It's dead important anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's really important to, to, to point out the longevity of a, of, of a plan, plan. And um, if you're in regulated, uh, diversified and uh, funds that have liquidity, then you shouldn't um, you shouldn't panic. You shouldn't do uh, you shouldn't sell at the bottom, which is what the herd typically do. I'd imagine panic's a big a big common word in that that. Or, or don't panic. More importantly, yeah. Well, you know, well, the, the, I suppose for, for me, the, the, the outcome of two thousand and nine, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand and nine, sort of after that, getting the chartered bit was. I, I mean, I realised obviously that I, I needed to know more, uh, and I think that's important to anybody. It's 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 lifelong learning these days, uh, and I I learned from there that although I was a chartered financial planner, I didn't actually do financial planning. So um, that for me was a, a great big. Uh, change in what we did by going from being investment advisors solely to doing you know holistic financial planning and what i mean by that is it's um it's like life with purpose first money second so it's, it's actually figuring out a, a whole journey mapped around um using cash flow forecasting but but actually finding out what's the money for i mean that's the that's the the real important thing and um i think i touched on it just earlier most people have um, have an issue with money. I mean, for example, do you remember that term where uh, they taught you all about, you know, at school, go back to school, the, the um, when they taught you all about bonds and equities? Do you remember that term? Yeah. Oh, go on. Well, it didn't happen. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it, did, it didn't happen. So for most for most people, they get thrown out into into life without any training whatsoever on how to use money. And, and and it, it's it surrounds us everywhere, doesn't it? Money. It's um, you know, it, it affects where we where we grow up, where 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 we send our kids to school. It's it, it affects um, 
what we have for dinner, where we go out and eat, where we go on holiday, uh, but our daily lives as well. Everything is all around decisions made with money, and yet we have no training how to use it, no financial capability, little beyond what um, what junior achievement that fine um, organisation do. So you know we could do more here. Um, we probably do more here than the UK <laughs> to to help um, financial capability in schools for sure. That was going to say, would would you see that as part of? whether it's part of the curriculum or or it, yes. certain days dedicated to it. Yeah, you would. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, I, I've, I'm going to uh, meet to cook at some point this year, uh, before the end of the year, hopefully, and, um, you know, we'll uh, see if we can yeah. share a bit of good practice. Um, and that, I'm looking I, forward to that. And I'm sort of back to that, for the, the crisis elements that go, oh, you know, the world we live in, like 08 and at the moment, yeah, maybe the the uh, older generation they're coming into retirement and they've got a pot of money and markets are crashing. How do you, you know? Obviously, they're difficult situations to manage because they've people have saved all their lives and it's this moment they're kind of diving into diving into their money to use and the markets are tumbling. Is that again just about management of this is a not a short term blip, but just again managing the clients' expectations around that? Yeah, sure. And when you when you're doing um, lifestyle financial planning what what it tends to show is you know you you plan you plan for uh what's what's your what's your client's life and how much does it cost and how much how long can you keep that life going without needing to access your investment so if you've got a decent cash buffer um then most most people are able to they know that they've got enough money to sleep at night and enough to get up something to get up for in the morning so, you know so if you can if you've got an, an, a good life that you can afford and enough money to sleep at night then we we don't you know we don't, our phone isn't ringing off the hooks when markets crash at all it's um our clients all have visibility and knowledge of what their plan is and they know that they're on track to achieve what they want and they know they've got enough that's that's uh that's just, that's planning 101 in anything <laughs> just put in financial planning that's that's what we do so to switch uh subject slightly you're a, a fellow podcaster as well oh yeah uh, island influencers <laughs> where, where, where did that, that idea come about and how's that going along and are you enjoying it and yeah well so um when i left uh when i stepped down as off the board in the uk for the personal finance society i um i i started in my year uh, a financial planning practitioner panel for the UK. So I had, um, I've just stepped down from that now for the last, having run that for a further through two years from that. And um, so I decided last year that this was going to be my last year because, you know, this has been 11 years of volunteering and actually I could probably do with spending a bit more time in uh, my business and being a mom. So, <laughs> oh, and I'd like to keep fit as well, but you know, there's just so many hours in the day so and someone said well you'll just be bored won't you and I was like, no I don't think so you know I've got, I've got plenty to keep me busy well what about this and it was a good friend of mine Adam Owen um, who was actually he's just stepped down as he was he was a fellow board member uh, and um, he's I've now I've now engaged him as a consultant to Thornton actually and he suggested that I did that I did it because he just thought you know the whole island it's such a, a a great community with so many it, it, it never ceases to amaze me the quality of people that we have here in such a small population it's hardly surprising that we um 
we punch above our weight in so many areas. So it was, it, it, to me, it's been that's been a journey of self-discovery, meeting others, learning f- what makes them tick, and but but also finding out about what they do in the community, but why they do it. Um, it's it, it's too easy to be negative. So the the whole point is to, I suppose, um, encourage uh, public trust and confidence in the great Isle of Man community. And, and there's so many lots of lots of other things that are going on to support that objective, which is great. You know, there can't be enough of them really. Yeah. There's there's enough naysayers and you know negative numpties on Twitter to uh, <laughs> you know to to kind of try and detract from the the message of actually you know if you put a smile on your face things can look a lot different than you know and a, a guest of mine said recently remember to look up absolutely you know so if we you know it's amazing what your attitude alone by shifting that attitude can make you accomplish much better things and i presume you're getting that from the podcast you're seeing though oh yeah i learned something i learned something from everybody it's uh it's been brilliant yeah yeah that's what fun I, that's what i find with all the podcasts i do that same of just learning off other people that, that get that well, we, was, time. we were saying before we started weren't we how it's uh, it's quite different to be on the on the receiving end of the questions yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> i'll stick to this side it's far easier uh, so outside of outside of work i mean i know we crossed paths a number of years ago uh through cycling I, you know you generally for getting out of work de-stressing is is that how do you yeah. deal with that Exercise. I've always been keen on sport ever since I was a kid. Um, Mike Bolton was my teacher at Albert Road School and uh, he started Northern Athletic Club. So I started running from a fairly early uh, age and uh, it seemed I was quite fast. According according to Mike Williams, who was an, a cycling coach of mine, he said I had fast twitch muscles. I, okay. I don't know what that means, but anyway. So, um, so I, I was really into athletics. Um, I represented the Isle of Man in the first Island Games in 1985. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was fun. But um, I realised pretty early on, big fish, small pond. And um, my sister said, oh, do you know a great motto, Sharon, for sport is, if at first you don't succeed, change your sport. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I tried to, so, so um, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed hockey because I was fast. Um, not terribly skillful because I'm left-handed. So I had a really good reverse stick, but I couldn't, you know, it was, that was, that was fun. Um, and I loved hockey because I think more because it was, you spent more time in the pub afterwards than you ever did on the pitch. <laughs> but yeah, I, I found my great love eventually via um, keeping fit for hockey, going to running, then to swimming, it was triathlon basically. Um, triathlon was fun, but again, uh, yeah, um, it's it, it's so much training time. I, I, I have we sponsor um, Will Draper. Um, our, he's just gone pro yeah, as a yeah. as a, an elite um, triathlete, which is brilliant news. But having the time to train for those sorts of things, and I, this was probably ninety eight by this point. Um, you know, having having all that. Um, time and running run your business i had to concentrate to one sport and that led me to cycling and that's always that's always been my biggest love cycling and i think the best thing about cycling is that you can go um meet go out with your mates you can have a good chat you can stop uh go to a cafe you can have a big fat scone and then you can get back on your bike and ride home and you're not sick because if you were running obviously you couldn't stop and eat because then you would you know so yeah, yeah. and it's guilt-free 
guilt-free burning the calories yes uh yeah that's 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 brilliant fun i have to say um the road biking is becoming a little less enjoyable because um there are let's say a number of um i don't know is it aggressive or assertive motorists that that they just just think that you know they can they can pass you like by a few inches and that's that's okay but it really isn't okay especially if it's if it's windy you know you can you know that that terrifies me um so i you know the roads are too narrow um to pass safely um within try i'll try and keep within the white line why do cars do that no you can cross the white you can cross the double white line if it's safe to do so but anyway um yeah do you and just one final final question do you uh do you consider yourself driven just listening to you and obviously knowing you for a number of years driven i don't know um i think we all have tendencies it's really easy to uh uh to sit down and watch telly isn't it it's uh nowadays mm. <laughs> uh, i think we were talking before about this time of year the days are getting shorter rapidly um i don't know it's thankfully i discovered i discovered the gym a long time and i find that being around others uh that motivates me so even going up to the gym here um with a, a load of other people i do stuff there that i wouldn't do at home even though i've got a small gym here i could do lots of stuff but because I suppose you, you you kind of you're guilted into doing it, you can't just go to the gym and just sort of gawk round, well, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess uh, I guess I suppose I I am, but yeah, I okay. quite like sitting down and watching telly too. Um, sometimes a bit too much. Yeah, but yeah. Okay. And uh, people like to reach out to you, Sharon. What's the best way to? to touch base with you whether that be a bit of mental help or financial advice or planning etc that's the best way yeah um well we are on thorntonfs.com and i'm on uh pretty much all social media channels um from from that perspective but okay. um yeah we'll, we'll add some links in our, our show notes for people oh, thank you to so thanks for joining us today uh sharon it's much appreciated oh. really, really nice insightful chat Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show, Martin. Thanks. Thanks for listening, everyone.